like let's say I have a Google pay-per-click lead that comes in. Um, one of the things that I don't think is articulated well enough is the conversion rate has significantly increased due to the brand presence that we have from the work that we do with platform marketing. This is the Platform Marketing Show, where we interview the most creative and ambitious real estate agents in the country, dissect their local marketing strategy, and get the behind-the-scenes scoop on how they're generating listing leads and warm referrals. We'll dive into the specifics of what marketing campaigns are working for them, how much they're spending on those campaigns, and figure out how they have perfected what we call the Platform Marketing Strategy. This is your host, Tim Shermack. I'm the founder and CEO of Platform. I love marketing and I talk too much. So let's dive in. Hey guys, it's Tim Shermack and welcome back to another episode of the Platform Marketing Show. I'm joined today uh, by Jamie Broderick. Jamie is the uh, team leader of the BRICS team on Midland, Michigan. Uh, Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So Jamie joined the Platform uh, back in... Was it May, May of 2020? May of 2020, just coming fresh out of COVID lockdown in Michigan. Okay. Yep. So it's been, it been at the, at the time of this recording, you've been using the platform marketing program for about two and a half years. Now, when, when uh, Jamie, when Jamie started, uh, she already had a successful business. So I want to like state that, um, up front that this isn't one of those like rags to riches stories where you know she was really struggling and platform saved her business or something like no jamie was already extremely successful and had already built um a successful team and platform and using this strategy i think has kind of helped unlock the the next level of that team growth but she already had a really really successful uh solid solid business going so at the at the point jamie signed up they're in midland michigan it's kind of a smaller town in northern northern michigan it's what 50 60 000 people is that right midland something like that okay and then you know there's some i know small towns kind of around it like the greater area being from being from rural minnesota myself i understand how that goes where it's like the town you're from has the population it has but then there's always like little towns around it that contribute, you know, but you don't really call them suburbs because a town that has 2000 or 3000 people, you know, isn't really a suburb, but that's how you think of it when you're from, you know, the rural Midwest. So, uh, you were, you were at about, uh, you were at about a total team volume of about 20 million as a team before you ever joined the platform marketing program. You had a team back then of seven, seven agents. Is that right? Yeah, I believe it was seven at that time. Lines start to get a little blurry, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was you and your husband, Daniel. Yep. And uh, you and Daniel were kind of the main um, the main producers of that 20 million. So you said, yeah, we're doing about 20 million as a team, had about seven people. But if you looked into the numbers, kind of the asterisk is that, you know, 12, 13 million perhaps of the 20 million was coming from you and your husband, Daniel. And so like a majority, like a huge majority of that wasn't really the team's volume. It was your own. But in the last couple of years, and by the way, like kudos, because, you know, probably less than 1% of any realtor anywhere in the United States ever gets to 12, 13 million in production. So it's, it's worth stopping to acknowledge that like, that's a huge accomplishment 
in and of itself because that puts you in the top for sure the top one percent you know maybe the top half of the top one percent but you've since scaled it and now you went from seven to how many how many team members do you have now i just counted yesterday it's if you include daniel um it's me plus 16. okay so really you've more than doubled your team yes in the last in the last couple years going from seven to 16 and the team volume has gone from, you said about 20 million to about 50 million. Yeah. I I haven't quite seen what the 2022 numbers have come in at quite yet, but I'm pretty sure we have tipped over 50. That's, that's, that's awesome. Cause I, I know obviously it's, it's flipped where the bulk of that production isn't you anymore. It's actually your team. Well, uh, a lot of it's still me. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it is, but it's not like, it's not, hey, I did, you know, 45, 45 Correct. of the 50 million, yeah. you know, because like <laughs> that's that's uh, that's the that's the catch, I guess. Like that's the catch 22 of a lot of team production. When you see impressive team production, you're like, oh, wow, they've really scaled it out. And I, I bet whoever owns that team is earning all this passive income. Right. And then you ask them, oh, what's the breakdown of the numbers? And it turns out they're doing like 85%, you know, of, of the volume, at which kind of begs the question, like, well, why are you even wasting your time building out a team if you're doing 85% of the volume? Because that extra 15% or, you know, whatever, is probably just a huge headache for you to babysit and manage all that. Um, and it's just really not not worth it. And so you, I know, have scaled your business, obviously, in a very meaningful way. And frankly, I've met a lot of the agents on your team because I know that you guys had a bunch of them come to the platform mastermind. So I've actually met them in person face to face and they love being on your team. Like there's, there's clearly a vibe that you've built and a culture that you've built on the bricks team where they don't just view it as like a stepping stone to going off and doing bigger and greater things, you know, on their own. Like you don't have a lot of turnover. People genuinely love being on your team. Because I think you've 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 created this culture, Jamie, where they feel like entrepreneurs, you know, on your on your team and they love being on your team as a long term plan. Like, you know, again, they're not just joining because they want to learn the ropes and they plan to quit in six months, you know, and that's that's been really cool to see. So uh, take me take me way back. Let's just go back in time um, to when you first became a real estate agent, because I know that you have you have an MBA, right? Yeah, so you, I mean, you you had and have plenty of career options that you, you know, could have pursued. It's not like you had to be a realtor because because that was the only, you know, job available to you. Obviously, you know, with, with an MBA, there's a lot of different corporate positions you could have taken. What what led you into real estate in, in the first place? That's a really good question, Tim. I, when I was graduating with my MBA, graduated in May and it was like the last week of April and I didn't have a job lined up at the time. It was 2011. And I was talking with a family friend who was already in real estate at another big box brokerage. And she says, you know, you'd make a really good real estate agent with a business mindset and with just like a heart to serve. I was um, serving waiting tables at that time as well. And she said, why don't you just come in and talk to our broker? I said, okay, cool. And our broker at the time, great guy. He's since retired. 
But he sits me down and he says, tell me, this was like the one question I was wearing a, a three piece, you know, skirt suit with a canary yellow jacket and was like way overdressed for real estate sales. But um, sat down with him and he says, tell me about where you see yourself in five years. I think at the time I had to been what, 24, 25, young okay. pup. And I said, in five years, I see myself owning my own business. And he says, well, if you join real estate, you'll own it tomorrow. And like that had me hook, line, sinker sold. And uh, got my graduated, walked like the first week of May, the second week of May, we have a 40 hour licensure class in, in Michigan. So the second week I took that licensure class, I passed the test still in May and I started June 1st. Okay. So it all happened kind of quickly. Yeah, very quickly. And how did you... How did you build your your real estate career um, and your success pre-platform? Because obviously, you know, if this was happening back in 2011 and you didn't sign up for the platform program until 2020, there's about a decade here where you built up your business to the point that I mean, you 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 were already hauling in you know 250, 300 thousand dollars a year plus in GCI before you mm -hmm. ever signed up for platform. So what were what were some of the things that you did? in terms of local marketing or sales strategies, just to build your business to that point before you ever signed up for platform? Oh, well, there's a few things. The, the, the very first year from that June one until the end of the year, I did two transactions and they were like a $70,000 house and like a $27,000 trailer. And I okay. went into the new year with so much debt because we had a huge desk fee every month and it was tough. I am actually kind of surprised that I didn't get out of the business then, but I didn't. And a couple of years after that, um, I met Daniel in the business, my husband and counterpart and business partner and another awesome realtor who um, at the time I we met and we were each other's accountability partners. And that made a huge difference in a very low and slow coming out of a recession market where it was hard and he he's i've been in the business like 11 12 years and he's been in the business like 19 years so he was my senior at that point in time as far as uh um what we've seen in the market and how to market sure. so having that accountability partner was huge for me for one and there's a lot of accountability i actually just talked with my platform rep jordan this morning and, and it's nice to be able to touch base and have her tell me what to do but uh, we got really creative with some marketing. One of my, one of our favorite things to, that we had done and that we still talk about today, just from a creative and unique marketing perspective is we bought, we marketed to expired listings and we bought little stress balls and we had them branded with our name at the time, which was those Brodericks. And we put them in a little box with a eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper that was a piece of marketing that we folded all up so that it would fit in a little box. And it had, it was all baseball themed and it said, did your last agent strike out? And it talked about uh, how we, our stats were significantly better than a lot of the market industry standard stats. Sure. And we sent that out. And then two days later, three days later, we sent one of just one of those sheets of paper. We, reprinted it, crinkled it all up, 
and had a stamp that said with red ink that we stamped on it that said, please don't throw me away again. And we put it in an envelope and we sent it to their house. And we had so many people call just because it was creative, unique marketing that some people laughed. Some people actually called to go out of their way and yell at us for being um, <laughs> whatever. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But most people laughed and we had a lot of business turnout from that and some business that took months to call us, which and they still called us. And that was cool. So you've you've really tried a lot of, you know, a lot of marketing strategies over the years. Did you ever you know, uh, do, do billboards or Zillow leads or what are some of the other marketing things that you guys have tried over the years? Uh, you know, whether it's Boomtown, uh, TV ads, radio, anything at all. Yeah, we do have like pay-per-click, um, CRM leads like Boomtown, Time, KB Core. We've used them all. And we also have bought leads from like a Google pay-per-click or from Zillow, Uh, we've never done radio. We've never done TV. We've never done billboards. Um, and then now Facebook platform marketing. What was the, what was the difference back when you, you know, had, um, you know, Zillow, pay-per-click, boomtown, things like that. What is, what is the difference in the type of leads or even in the way that your business was structured versus the way that you do things now with platform marketing, just like, like a qualitatively. Yeah. It's the best way that I can describe what platform marketing has been able to do for, for us is back when we partnered, we were, we were coming out of COVID and during that time, we were still a fresh new independent brokerage. We had only been established for a couple years and to build a brand from nothing is not the easiest thing to do. I'm sure you know that. And we were really, really, really looking for helping us build a brand and making our faces, our names, our hearts, our missions known to our community. Because you were you were moving uh, coming from Remax, right? We had started there, and then we were an independent. Okay. Yep. And, and we so were independent that... when we partnered with Platform. Yeah. So at that time, you were kind of thinking, "Hey, I've had all these awesome balloons in my marketing before, but now I need to kind of build my own brand." Yeah. You know, and I I don't have this big national company doing branding campaigns behind me, so I need to build my own brand for this new independent boutique brokerage. Correct. Yeah. And for us at that time, it was, okay, how can we become known? And I'll tell you what, we have become known. It, it what, what it does for the amount of clients that we are in front of is it might not be what you think that it is. Maybe, maybe, maybe you've heard this many times before, but because of the brand and because of the uh, amount of visibility that we have in front of people, it makes it so that if we are in front of someone we've never met before, so not a past client, not as not a sphere, but a new lead, they already essentially know us, like us, and trust us because they've seen us so many times and in, in different capacities and doing different things. They sometimes have seen our families. They've seen our um, our team members, they have a, a validation of the um, contributions that we make to our buyers and sellers. And that's all been because of platform marketing. 
So really, really, it was about establishing this like awareness in the community of who you are. The focus wasn't necessarily as much on leads. I mean, obviously, you you do get leads as part of platform, but you weren't really concerned about, hey, I want to buy X amount of leads per month. It was more, I want to create a a respected brand in this community where people actually know who we are um, so that when they call us, it's not cold. Like it's actually somewhat of a warm, a warm call, right? If someone gives you, if someone gives you a call. Um, and so that, that was maybe, that was, that was why you signed up. And that was back in May of May of 2020. And again, at that point, just to, just to review, you were at about seven agents. You guys were doing about 20 million, you know, approximately in total volume, but well over half of that was um you know you and uh was you and daniel now if you're if you're gonna do 50 million this year even if you and daniel are doing let's say 20 25 million an interesting thing happens that like well even if the ratio is similar the difference is it's really impressive if you have a team doing 25 or 30 million even if the percentages are technically similar because frankly it takes a lot of leadership and it takes a brand and it takes a marketing system to have a team that does 20 or 30 million. Cause you know, a lot of people, a lot of agents I hear, Oh, I built a team and it's like, cool. What was your team's volume last year? And it's like, they have, let's say three agents and those three agents did, you know, $7 million. And it's like, okay, well they're all starving then because with splits and everything, if you're three agents combined for 7 million, I've got to basically assume they all have part-time jobs, you know, because that's, that's not really a sustainable way to run a business. If you want to build a team at a certain point, you kind of have to burn the ships and go all in and build a team. Because if you're, you know, team members can't make a meaningful living on your team, they're going to have to find another job. And clearly you guys have built um, a business model that allows your team members to thrive. So what, what do you think, Jamie, that you have done differently that other agents don't do when they build a team that's allowed your team to thrive and grow again because you're in a somewhat small town so it's not like you're in a metro area with millions of people like it's 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 pretty significant that even in a small town you've grown your team to uh you said is it is it 15 or 16 agents now yeah if if you if you include daniel which he hasn't sold anything in like over just been like i don't know three years or something but yeah, yeah he's not really active he's not really active in the production anymore so really it's like you know 15 15 people how have you been able to work again i've met these people because they were at the recent platform mastermind so i've met a lot of these agents in person you're attracting really high quality people you know you're not you're not picking up you know random black sheep from the family where the reason they joined your team is because they had no other options in life or something like that it was either go work for Jamie's team or I was going to work at the gas station or something, right? Like you're getting really high quality people, um, as, as part of your team and they love being on your team. And I haven't really seen that with many other teams. Um, the, uh, the, uh, Remy's come to mind in, uh, in a uh, McKinney, Texas, they've been working a platform for, I think like six years now. They have that same vibe where it's like, I can tell that the people on their team love working with them. Um, and you have you have created that same culture. So I'm I'm curious what what have you done um, in whether it's how you recruit them or what what the splits look like or what the training or mentorship looks like. 
I guess I don't really know what question I'm asking as, you know, <laughs> as, as, as much as how have you done it? What do you do differently that you see other team leaders not doing? Yeah, that's a great question, Tim. At our, at our last big box brokerage, it was, we got to the point where when we were walking in, we put on our horse blinders, went to our desk and worked and that was it. And if we did anything else in, in the office, it was, um, everything had, everything we did was negative. There was no support. There was no, it was, we would go to a big conference. They would tell us to do something. We would go to implement it. And then we would be met with, with, uh, restrictions and that's never going to work and pessimism. And it's like, our, our brand just told us to do this and we're going to implement it. Like, what's the issue? And we did that so many times, time and time and time again. And when we went independent and created the BRICS team, we we really, 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 really concentrated on doing things different. And probably not quite half, maybe six agents, seven agents on our team started their career somewhere else. So they know what another atmosphere looks like. And then when they come over here, they're like, wow, this is just different than anything I've ever experienced. This is really nice. And what we really concentrated on was uh, for one training, when I, when I started my career, I did those two transactions and I, I feel bad for my first clients because I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea how <laughs> I was negotiating. I didn't know how to, sure. I didn't, I, it was bad. Like I, I, I should probably call them and apologize, <laughs> but training is super, super important for us. We have uh, weekly team meetings and the second half of that weekly team meeting, so about 30 minutes of that, is on a training topic. And for any team leaders listening, it's easy easier if you create monthly training topics, which was a tip given to me, where you're not having to like recreate the wheel every single training topic or every single week or every single, we do trainings twice a week where you're not doing something, you're not spread thin, you're kind of concentrating and honing in on one thing per month. And then we also have another training session that is just training. And we have monthly training topics. We have a 21 day ramp camp rapid agent mastery program, which is required for all agents coming on the team, including if they started their career somewhere else and they're a 10 year veteran that's agent. A, and I have a, had um, four year veteran. Go ahead. I said, that's a badass uh, uh, acronym um, ramp. You said rapid agent mastery program. Yep. And it's 21 days. There's homework every day. They learn uh, like six different tools on our team. They learn how to write a purchase agreement frontwards, backwards, upside down with their eyes closed. They start off doing about 45 minutes to write a purchase agreement. They end at about 11 minutes after the 21 days. They know how to write it competitively. They know how to write it non-competitively. They know everything that there is. So training is huge for us. Is that, is, is that something uh, proprietary that you guys came up with in-house, yes. this, this ramp system, or is that something you borrowed from somewhere else or? Hand created one, one typing letter at a time. <laughs> okay. So there's, there's, there's your MBA showing up in your real estate practice where you've had this detailed, detailed system and you've even branded it with the proprietary name. Um, I, I love it. I love yeah. it. Okay. Thanks. So when someone, when, when someone joins your team, they're not just like 
joining your team and then hey jamie doesn't do anything and takes a cut of all my commissions it's like there is a real oh yeah pro there's a real protocol and a curriculum and a program that they're um that they're joining very very much so and and it's not just like hey it exists we actually converted about three months ago to hey it's required okay and it's not like so for our monthly stuff that that happens twice a week 75 percent of those are required and they're all recorded so if you're not here in person you can watch the recording but we can't all be going up a hill and having a couple agents that are just like floundering at the bottom of the hill we're all going to go up the hill together and so training was really big for us another thing that at my last brokerage that i hated those two transactions that first year i was hungry i was ready to make the calls i was ready to do stuff i didn't have anybody to call and so lead gen is really important for us. We we brand a lot with platform, but we do also use platform a lot for lead gen as well. And then also like the people and the people that you've met on my team, you'll probably notice that um, we have more of like a family mentality where it's, I mean, a lot, I imagine probably a lot of people say that, but like, right, right. It, it, it really is. Like, I don't, I don't know. And, and the people that are not meant to be here work themselves out pretty quickly too. Sure. Because sure. they see that, oh, wow, this is, I, this is a lot. I didn't sign up for this and, and I'm not meant to be here. And they, they figure that out pretty quick too. Yeah. Cause it, uh, it, uh, sounds like you guys, um, kind of have this unique juxtaposition of being very, very intense and very intentional and proactive in everything that you do, but at the same time being very casual and, uh, you know, have this, ha having this family atmosphere, you know, cause I think a lot of teams is like, Hey, join my team. And the only reason they want someone to join their team is like, they're just viewing it strictly as a passive income stream of, Hey, if this agent technically hangs their license here, I'll grab whatever 10 or 20 or 30% of every deal they do flows to me. And it's almost like you're running like an MLM scheme, you know, and you you clearly i think i think the most accurate straightforward way of describing of describing your business model is you're actually treating it like a business oh yeah absolutely and i think that's that is a lot where the education comes into play but like um we are not the typical real estate company the typical real, real estate team or agent or whatever you want to say like our business is operated as a business I set all my buyers and sellers up on my Calendly link where they get automated emails that are going out to them, setting the proper expectations. Like everything is a business in our business. And you, you guys purchased a building as well, right? Two. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know that, uh, you know, just speaking of running it like a business, um, currently you are affiliated with uh, eXp, right? Yep. Yeah. So obviously a huge, um, a huge uh, selling point for many people is obviously the cloud nature of these new brokerages like eXp where you don't, you don't have to have an office. You don't have to pay for, you know, leasing an office somewhere that you can kind of do everything remotely if you want. But I think because you view it as a business, you're like, Hey, what will prove to the community that we are more rooted here, that we're truly part of the community. If we all work from home and we're kind of invisible, or if we like, buy a building because we're a real estate company and we prove that we're invested in the community by physically owning part of the community. So I think that's awesome that even though you are with eXp, this cloud brokerage that in theory 
allows you to be remote, you're like, no, it's actually that important to us that even though we're with EXP, we're going to buy a building and we're going to renovate it and we're going to have a real office so that people know that we're, you know, a real a real business, you know, and by the way, I say that as platform has no office. So platform is a remote company, right? But I think there is something true that a lot of people who run remote businesses aren't willing to acknowledge out loud that if you have a physical space, a real building, a real office, people think of you more as being a quote unquote real business, right? It, it just, it just is what it is. You, 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 you can't really argue with that. I think it's just true. If you own a building and they know that, Hey, here's their address. I can stop by and see Jamie, or I can stop by and see someone on the team and they have a, a building like that feels a lot more, I think, real of a business than someone who's purely online. They work from home, you know, I'll meet you at a coffee shop type thing. Um, so I think that's really cool. Um, so let's get down into like the real specifics. Um, how, have, how have you structured your team in terms of the value for the team member? What do the commission splits look like? Do you provide leads to them? Do they have to pay for their own marketing or leads? What does it look like if I'm going to join Jamie Broderick's team? That's a really good question too. And it's something that I feel like has changed a lot in the six years that we've been operating as Bricks. And there, I mean... If there's any team leaders talking or hearing this conversation, what I would really say is that I figured out a lot of the ways that it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> and when it doesn't work and you're like, oh my gosh, this isn't working, you pivot and you do something else. So our current our current split setup has been this way for about a year and a half. So I feel like it's working pretty good. Okay. Uh, there's probably four or five different splits prior to that in six years. So I, I'd say we're doing pretty good right now. And what it currently is, and this is something that I had had conversations with three big team leaders, like big team leaders that um, they, they, they aren't even EXP. They're different team leaders all over North America, running different business models. And I interviewed them all and said, what am I missing? Why does this not work for me? What are you doing that you guys are running these amazing teams? How can I be more like you? And I pulled different things from each of them. They were kind of similar, but a little different. And I pulled things that I was like, okay, I think this will work. I think this will work. And I think this will work. And so far for a year and a half, it's been working. And we have if, if you could see me right now, if I have two hands up in the air, on one hand, I've got sphere. So your sphere of influence. And on the other hand, I have team. And those are the two types of leads that we're going to close. And on your sphere hand, you get a different split that is more competitive to the agent if it is in your sphere. Sure. And on the on the team lead hand, you get the, the team gets a more competitive split because the team has provided that lead to you. Okay, then on each hand, if you hold up two fingers, um, your pointer fingers are going to be buyers and your next finger is going to be sellers and your buyers is going to have a, a better split to the agent because there is less uh team involvement based off of we've got virtual assistants that are like creating our pending files and getting paperwork where it needs to go to and putting all this stuff in the computer system and doing a lot of the back end computer type paperwork type stuff. And so there's less involvement on the buy side of a transaction. 
where the split is better to the agent. The agent has more time invested running out, showing houses, higher gas prices, running all over sure. doing stuff. Then sure. on the listing side, uh, yeah, there's usually the, more. The team there's usually has more, more hours that go into. If you're the buyer's agent to get a transaction done, you probably have invested more hours. Yes. Than the than the listing agent did. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Typically, that's true. Yep. Um, and then on the listing side of things, our team pays for uh, photography. We do a lot of the more of the back end work. We do partial listings. We do um, we set up showing time. We we do a lot of the more more work as a team, and the agent does actually less work. Uh, so of those, so we have four splits, and they're sphere buyer, sphere seller team buyer, team seller, and they run, um, 85, so 15. It's a, oh, so cool. it's basically like a four quadrant matrix Correct. where there's two variables. Therefore there's four possible splits you could have on, on any deal. You know, the first variable is, is it a, a, a team lead or is it a sphere? And then the second variable is, uh, is it a, a buyer or a seller? Correct. Okay. And, um, one of the key components that I had been missing, because we had run other splits where it was different, a, a different split between buyer and, or between sphere and team. But one of the big components that we were missing that I had pulled from one of those other team leaders that was doing such a great job was that you have to submit a sphere list when you join. You get to adjust it once a year, but you ahead of time. What? So you have to submit that ahead of time. You and have basically, if, if, if a person's not on that list, then you can't claim it was part of your sphere. You got it. That is genius. All right. That is probably, that's worth the price of entry to this podcast episode. So if someone's <laughs> listening to this, like that is one of the single best pieces of advice that I have heard in frankly the last year, because that is, that is the quintessential problem with people who run teams is like, if you have a dual split, a dual commission split system where, Hey, I'm paying you a different split based on, is this a, a team lead, right? Or is it from your sphere? You are inevitably going to get into arguments about like, Hey, I already know this person, or this is my family's friend or, you know, but it's like, it came in through the, the team's website or it came in through marketing that you paid for maybe a platform marketing campaign. And so would you have, you know, would you have converted that lead anyways? And it's always like this question of, well, I don't really, you know, like both sides kind of can't claim a hundred percent truth. And so it, yeah, that's a, it's kind of a conundrum that a lot of team leaders find themselves in is like, well, you don't want to give away a higher commission split to all your team. Cause then you, you go out of business if you're not making money, but at the same time, you don't want to feel like you're screwing over the team members on your team by charging them a higher split for someone that is technically whatever, a family friend or someone they know from church, but you want to do it fairly, right? And both sides want to feel that it's done fairly and a win-win. And I think what you just said is absolutely genius. It's brilliant that, Hey, submit to us, everyone you think is in your sphere ahead of time. And that way, if anyone, if we ever have a disagreement, we'll just consult that list. And if you didn't think to include them, it couldn't have been someone that's that important to you or that close to you. Correct. Now that's, there are two more. Genius. There are two more pieces to that 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 were big aha moments for me as well that I'll share too. Just because I feel like it was such a big like, oh my gosh, this is genius. No wonder why these guys are doing so great. Um, for one, if you are less than one year of an agent, 
you get up to 75 names. So Bob and Sue Smith is one name, but you have a limited amount of names. I have 4,000 contacts in my phone, right? Like sure. there's a lot of contacts. And by the way, if you're looking for how to create a sphere list, what I tell my people is go through the contacts in your phone. There you go. There's your sphere list. Sure, but sure. The, um, up- and that's, that's probably a, a pretty good way of thinking about it. Of like, Hey, I'm not really going to count someone as your sphere. If you literally don't even have their cell phone number. Cause I think that's the proof in, in 2023 of, does this person actually know you at a close enough level to where that's the reason they're working with you is because they know you. It's like, well, you could say that someone is your cousin, but it's like, if you don't even have their cell phone number, then you don't really know them that well. Right. And you can't claim, Oh, that's my sphere. The reason they're working with me, if you don't even have their cell phone number saved. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's a genius litmus test that kind of gives a sense of objectivity to a question that's usually so subjective of, Hey, is this a sphere lead or a team lead? So I love that. Yeah. I love that. And then if they are, if they are three years plus of an agent, they get up to 350 names. So even like myself that has 4,000 contacts in my phone, if I was joining my team, I'd have to pick out my top 350. Now, the other thing that was like a big, um, wow, that's genius because I like to treat everybody the way that I would want to be treated and the way that they would want to be treated both like platinum and the golden rule. And the, there, I was, I was like, this was like July of a year and a half ago. And when we worked through this new change in the team and it was like June, like just the month before where a good friend of mine from college, we called him farmer, uh, moved to Iowa after college and he lives in Iowa, right? You don't think about him. He was thinking about moving to the tri cities where I live and of course he called me. He's like, Hey, Jamie, I'm going to be up there. I have a job interview. I want to see a couple houses. Would you mind showing them to me? Well, he's obviously coming to me because he's my sphere. Right? So, so everybody gets wild cards too. And the wild card concept I stole from one of those three team members that I talked to, but you get up to 12 wild cards per year. It resets and you get to use a sphere on your um, wild card, but you have to prove that it's a wild card. So if if he's my college friend, it's an easy way for me to prove that because, you know, he's my college friend. There's a way that you can prove that. So if you're going to use a sphere a wild card for a sphere split, you just got to prove it. And that's and actually that's, that's actually really really generous. You said they can use 12 wild cards a year. I mean, frankly, most agents don't even sell 12 homes a year. So <laughs> I'm actually really surprised that you offer 12 i was thinking if you had if you had something like a mulligan or a wild card you know type um type of system maybe you would offer it up to three times a year or something like that so i mean really your agents can never complain that you're trying to just right you know uh that you're trying to take advantage of the commission split i mean you're being honestly i i would say exceedingly generous in how you define the different categories yeah and and that really comes down to if i were to move to naples and join a team down there how would i want to be treated well that's how i'd want to be treated okay so um what are what are maybe on your team what are the top two people earning in terms of their 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 gci um, I know Donna, I'm, I, I shouldn't say no, I'm pretty sure because I don't track this stuff super closely. I'm pretty sure Donna did 7 million last year. And I believe Rebecca did six. Okay, and- so that's, that's awesome. Like you have individuals on your team 
that are obviously making six figures oh, yeah. in, Easy. in GCI. Yeah. Multiple I, agents doing six figures. Yeah. I think that is the mark of a real team, a successful team. It's not like, hey, do you have a bunch of people who are making $35,000 a year? And therefore, if they want to provide, you know, like a middle class standard of living to their family, they probably have another job. Right. Um, but. If you have multiple people on your team, because like, frankly, one person is just luck. If you have one person who's maybe doing six figures, you know, more than a more than one hundred thousand dollars in GCI, maybe you got lucky that some ambitious person joined your team and they're making six figures on your team despite being on your team, not because of being on your team. Right. But if you have multiple people on your team that are selling six, seven million, you know, meaning they're well past that hundred thousand dollar GCI mark. That means that you can look at the team structure and be like, okay, there's something on the water over there, right? Like clearly they're successful because they're on Jamie's team and because of Jamie's blueprint and systems and everything. It's not just dumb luck. It's not random chance, right? So um, that's, that's, uh, that's great. How are, you, how are you recruiting people to your team? Where do, those, where do those leads or where do those conversations typically come from are you cold calling and poaching people from other brokerages in town or are they coming to you how does how does that work that's a really good question but before i answer that do you mind if i answer one that you didn't ask me yeah absolutely okay <laughs> you probably don't know to ask me this but it's like one of the things that i'm most proud of is because of the systems and processes that we have in place and like the agents that are doing these types of production including myself i last Last year, I could probably count on one hand the amount of weekends that I worked. Wow. And I tip and I haven't worked more than one hand's worth of nights in a month, like past five, period. And most of my agents can say the same thing if they so wish. Sure. That's not desirable for everybody, but for quite a few people it is. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's 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 people that are in their phase of their career to where they're happy to work weekends right. because yeah. they're wanting to get ahead and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But if you're at that point where you're already at a certain level of success, then one of the things you want to do is frankly buy back your time and not have to work seven days a week or whatever. So absolutely that's uh that's uh that's amazing that yeah. you said you basically just a few times in the last year have had to work have had to work a weekend. Yeah. And it's really like when I choose to, right? Like if it's whatever, but, um, and that, that's really, really important to me. And that is kind of goes hand in hand with recruiting and how I've been able to recruit and some of the systems and processes that we have in place because of that business mindset where other, other companies just can't even touch it. You know what I mean? But the last two agents that joined our team just within the last few months, or a few weeks, uh, those two were both past clients of ours, actually, that had raised their hand wanting to get into real estate. And then two okay. agents that joined our team last November, so about a month, month and a half ago, they both came over from a different brokerage local that like literally came into our CRM and said, please call me to set up a time to talk. I'm looking to make a move. Like they're like raising, people are raising their hand saying, Hey, pick me, pick me, which has been really cool. Do you, uh, do you attribute any of that kind of inbound business or not, not business, but inbound, um, 
leads of potential agents, I guess, uh, to all the ads that you're running? Have you ever had people say, hey, I love the marketing, or I love the ads that you're doing, I want to join your team? Has that, has that, has that influenced anyone? Yeah, I would say that it has. Um, it's, it's really just like coming down to that, that branding. Like I see that you guys do things differently. I can't put my finger on what you are doing, but like, I know that you are different. Um, they don't say, Hey, what's your marketing company? Cause I know that you guys, you know, <laughs> right, right, right. But they can just kind of tell that kind of culturally what you're putting out there with your marketing just seems different than what they see other people doing. Absolutely. Um, so I know that you guys, you know, are really involved in your community. Like you, you know, are, are so passionate about the Midland area that you guys literally bought and renovated a building to turn it into your office. Um, even though again, you're with a brokerage EXP that prides itself on having the ability to, you know, use the cloud and go remote. So, uh, what are, what are some ad campaigns that you've run with platform over the last several years that you just know really resonated with the community? Um, not, not because they maybe had the most video views. So I'm not asking which ad have you ever done? That's got the most clicks or the most video views. Cause those metrics aren't always the most important thing. You know, I think the most important thing is when you have multiple people in real life that stop you at the coffee shop or stop you at the gas station, or they see you at church or your kid's school play or whatever. And they say, oh, I love that video you did, or I love that ad that you did. And they're actually referencing it in real life. So you know that people are seeing it. Have, have you had that experience where people actually come up to you in real life and tell you about a specific post or ad or video, you know, that you guys have done? Yeah, two of them come to mind. And one of them, I got to paint a little picture for you first, okay? Uh, I just upgraded my car a few months ago. Before that, I was driving a 2011 Lincoln MKV, MKX, I don't, the little car one. Okay. I don't even yeah, know. Yeah. That's how much I care. And I had, it was white. It was all chrome, like chrome wheels, chrome handlebars, chrome mirrors. And it was all like blacked out windows, blacked out taillights, because I don't like to sit in a fishbowl. And um, my license plate says bricks, <laughs> which uh, I hadn't thought about until I got pulled over about a year after having this license plate that um, bricks with a 2011 white chrome blacked out Lincoln could mean something different than my real estate company. <laughs> now, now, uh, just just to clarify here for people listening, like they're thinking, why the hell did she call it bricks? It's bricks is kind of a play on the term Broderick's for last name Broderick. Yeah. So, so when we when we went independent, we chose the name bricks. There's three different reasons three different like supporting reasons but one of them is we took out the r-o-d-e so it's a play on the last name yeah yeah broderick's bricks so yeah 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 so um my car is i'm i'm saying that to say that my car is very recognizable right <laughs> and i haven't been pulled over since that time because i think the police officer was very shocked to see uh middle-aged white girl driving it <laughs> wearing a bricks branded sweatshirt or whatever yeah yeah, yeah. And that's awesome um, so we have a coffee shop right across the street from our office and I was in the drive through line and I was like, this drive through line is taking way too long. I'm going to get out and walk in. I'm going to get it. Cause I had a couple of agents in my car. We were going off to go do some marketing, something or another. And Rebecca in my office happens to drive the same exact vehicle that I do. And she was like, I'm just going to hop in and move her car out of the way. So she moved it out of the way. And when she moved it out of the way, 
she didn't go into a parking spot and this is a small enough town that like you can't walk into that coffee shop without knowing at least five people that you know right 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 so um actually one of my clients his name is ian ian sees my car at the coffee shop not in a parking spot kind of parked like a you know hooligan and he like comes up and he knocks on the window and rebecca rolls the window down and he says oh gosh you're the one who did that video <laughs> he was expecting to see me and he sees rebecca and rebecca did a, a listing it was a listing video that was a play on a legally blonde video you know like um l woods and she always wears pink and she wears a uh, she has a, a small dog or whatever. So um, I had a listing. Rebecca did a listing video on it. It was kind of run down a little bit. And she was like, I'm going to walk in there and talk about how beautiful this house could be. And I'm going to get some people attention, some people's attention by like dressing this way with like a, a feather boa and all this other stuff with a little dog in my purse and walk through the house and talk about how you can fix it up. And she got a lot of flack on that from some people, but she got a way more recognition from so many more people. Sure. And this was my client and he never interacts on social media like ever. And he like knocks on the window and rolls it down and he's like, oh my God, you're the one who did the video from Legally Blonde with the pink dress and the, and he went off and I, he, I think he that's like, really He cool. like immediately, immediately recognized her. Oh yeah, immediately. Yeah. And then the other one that really sticks out in my head is probably my favorite um, platform post that we ever did, which also happens to be the first platform post that we ever did. So it was, it, it was, a, it was, it was, it was all downhill from there. The first one was great. And <laughs> well, no, it was just, it was so magical. It's hard to top, <laughs> but I challenge you to figure something out that we can top it with. There you go. <laughs> can you guess what it was? I'm so you joined in May. If you joined in May, 2020, I'm guessing it was the God made a small business owner video. You, you got it. We, we created that God made a small business owner, which is like so near and dear to my heart, having an entrepreneur's heart of supporting other local entrepreneurs. And especially coming out of a lockdown where there were so many businesses that were hurting and, and just like, it was so moving and so intentional. And we had different team members read different parts on it, on the, on the audio and stuff. And um, <clears throat> went to a lot of local businesses <clears throat> that we support that we love that we wanted to make sure that they continued to succeed and that they were doing okay and that i mean like even still when i watch it it still like really 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 moves me like i just i, I have such a heart connection to that video and it was so cool that uh our our mayor a couple days after it launched it was i don't know three four five days somewhere in there she called me and she said uh, she she left me a voicemail and I saw her name come across my phone and I'm like, what is Mayor Donker doing calling me right now? I was back to work finally and and um, uh, her voicemail was just like, um, I can't even remember. It was like two minutes long or something. It was so long. And she was like, I can't believe the video that you guys did. That was so wonderful. You're such great community supporters and like commending everything that we did. It was like, man, I wish I could take the credit for this, but <laughs> I didn't tell her that, that, Hey, it's our marketing company. But that was, 
probably my favorite and also one of like the most near and dear to my heart ones. Cool. Well, let's actually uh, take a second to listen to listen to uh, the audio recording of Jamie's video. Um, so God made a small business owner. And now I know that if you're listening to this, you can't see a video. There is a video that goes along with it that features all of the uh, local small business owners, you know, um, that they highlighted in this video in their in their community in Midland, Michigan. But let's just take a second to uh, listen, listen to the scripts. You can kind of uh, hear what Jamie's talking about when when she says that, hey, the mayor loved this ad and even called me to tell me thank you for supporting the community. All right. One second. And on the eighth day, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a job creator. So God made a small business owner. God said, I need somebody willing to sit up all night figuring out how to make payroll. I need somebody who's okay with paying their employees before they make a single dollar. I need someone who will take all of the risk to sign the front of the check so that others have the privilege of signing the back. I need someone who will risk their life savings just to break even every year and hope that the next will be better. So God made a small business owner. I need somebody with a personality strong enough to handle a complaining customer and yet gentle enough to train a new employee. Somebody to run payroll, stock the shelves, skip lunch, run across town to hand deliver an order to an elderly customer, work late, and not get back to your own house until 10.30 at night. So God made a small business owner. I need someone who will work 70 hours a week, every week, and be able to tolerate the media and even their own friends, saying that business owners aren't paying their fair share. So God made a small business owner. God had to have somebody willing to always put the customer first, sometimes even before their own family. God needed someone willing to open early, stay open late, miss their kids' baseball games, just so that the other parents wouldn't have to. So God made a small business owner. God needed someone who could get people what they need, when they needed it, for a fair price. Someone who could be a living example of the old-fashioned virtues of self-reliance, hard work, and not spending more than you make. God needed someone to keep the American dream alive. So God made a small business owner. So the, uh, the uh, mayor, you know, with tens of thousands of other people in your community saw that video and it was an ad that went out on Instagram and Facebook and it kind of went viral. I mean, it got tens and tens of thousands of views and the mayor actually called you to thank you for supporting, for supporting the community. I think that is like the definition of genius advertising because it doesn't feel like an ad. If you're just supporting the community and it's an ad that happens to, to, to be produced, you know, by the bricks real estate team, but it doesn't look or feel like an ad that is paradoxically the most effective form of advertising because people don't realize they're consuming an ad, but what's happening at, at like a subconscious level 
is you're building rapport with them and they're, they're, they're kind of realizing, Hey, you know, this, this real estate team, Jamie Broderick and all these awesome agents, like they're really involved in the community and they're not, again, they're not consciously thinking this, but like, that's the long-term takeaway. Cause they'll, they'll forget all the specifics of what you said in the video, but their long-term takeaway is this real estate team seems really rooted and really passionate about, about their community. And those are always the most effective ads because other agents can't, can't compete with that you know um, doesn't matter how big someone's zillow budget is if you really are kind of planting that flag that we're passionate about the community and oh by the way we just happen to be realtors right um that's great well uh what are what are some other of your favorite just favorite ads that you've done jamie whether or not you got a ton of feedback from your community what are some other ads that come to mind of like platform style retargeting ads, whether they're photos or videos that you guys have done over the years that are just your favorites? Yeah, there's been some really good ones. I usually pick out the favorites based off of how the community reacts. And sometimes that's not only like, I don't know, the more engagement, the better for me. The yeah. the one um, looking looking for listings, I think we've had a couple good looking for listings okay. ones, yep. one of them with like a sheet of paper on the telephone post. Okay. Yep. Yep. And, uh, what, what was funny about that one collected that one on the team and, and some of the feedback that we and had that, gotten that, from that, uh, ad for people listening is like, we create kind of like, we like Photoshopped almost a wanted poster. Like when someone loses their dog or cat and there's like a wanted sign that you staple to telephone poles, you know, we kind of made a wanted sign, but when you start reading the fine print, it's like wanted and you're looking for listings and here's what we're looking for. And then we took a picture of you or one of your agents on your team standing with like a hammer next to a telephone pole. And you're not, you know, you're not literally nailing it to a telephone pole, but it looks like you're swinging the hammer about to nail it to a telephone pole so that there's always people commenting on it saying, oh, what's on the wanted? Like, what are you what are you nailing? You know, and obviously that just creates more engagement on the post and you can tell people, oh, here's here's what we're looking for. Here's what's wanted. Right yeah. Now. Or if you live in a small community like mine, they like to post about how it is actually against our city rules to put anything and on. It's, and it's and it's vandalism. And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Which which I think is great, too, because that happened to a ton of our clients when we all did this ad. And I'm like, that's that's amazing, because when all these people are commenting, um, they're just boosting the engagement yes. of the post. And the, the important thing is you're not doing anything wrong because you didn't actually nail it to a telephone pole. Right. And you can say, hey, I didn't actually do it. It's kind of a, a joke. But the point is, if they commented, now they're boosting the engagement on that on that ad. So even more people, more people see it. So, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely uh, why I think I like those ones the most, the ones that are like the the more kind of unique edgy. engagement. And then like as, <clears throat> as the brokerage, we can get on there and respond to those comments. Uh, and you can be funny with it too. You can say, there were no city telephone poles harmed in the making of this um, sure, sure. advertisement or whatever you want to call it. And yeah, those ones are some of my favorites. Anything that has anything to do with kids are some more of my favorites as well. I think it's fun to uh, introduce my children and other people's children to um, the the world of marketing. We're we're getting I'm getting ready to launch the the one about um, buying buying property instead of going to or for, for oh yeah yeah. Project. 
Yeah. So there's this ad where you take a picture or you find a picture maybe that you already have of you with, you know, your young son or young daughter. And we wrote this ad that talks about, hey, here's why you should buy a house for your kid. Because if that's the headline, people are like, what in the, you know, like, why would you ever buy a house for a child? Right. So it kind of just begs people to click and find out, hey, what's the fine print here? Like, that's crazy. Well, like, what are you talking about buying a house for your kid? Right. And then obviously in the ad, if people click to read more, what we explain is that, well, a lot of people, if they're, you know, responsible for their children and they want to save for their college, let's say they're probably putting it like a 529 plan. And they're locking it away in this, you know, specialized legal savings account that can only be used for like accredited colleges. Whereas if you actually buy a house and all you really have to put is, you know, all you really have to put down is a down payment, the tenant's going to make the payment every year. And then when your kid is 18 or 20, that mortgage is probably paid off in full, but the tenant was paying it all those years. And now you own a house free and clear and probably some monthly cash flow, and you can gift that to your child to either pay for their education or maybe they want to use it to start a business when they're older if they choose not to go to college or whatever you know and i think that 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 opening hook that opening headline of this ad of like here's why you should buy a house for your child it's so creative and so contrarian that it it gets people to click and Mm -hmm. every platform realtor that i've seen run this ad campaign gets a ton of engagement on it and it's really it's really positive engagement because it's kind of you know you're not you're not being sarcastic, but it's kind of clickbait in a positive sense of you're hooking people in with a really creative headline, and then you're actually sharing a really valuable strategy. Yeah. I mean, I know that several people in the platform have saw that ad and they're like, you know what? I'm not only going to do that ad, I'm going to follow that advice. I'm gonna go buy a house <laughs> for my kid because that's actually kind of genius relative to a, a traditional 529 savings plan. You know, wh- why don't they just own real estate? I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's genius. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, um, obviously there's all sorts of ads we could talk about both lead generation and retargeting. Um, do you, do you know like what ads most of the actual leads come from? Um, are there any particular variation of homes list or anything that have been most successful for you guys? And then as a follow-up question, do you know approximately, cause I, you know, I'd love getting into specifics here what approximately are you spending on the actual ads every month? Is it, do you have an ads budget of a thousand dollars a month? Is it $2,000 a month? Just approximately, do you know what the actual ad spend is? Uh, that's a good question. And I'll answer that one second. What was the first question you asked? Uh, the, uh, the first question was in terms of specifically lead generation, oh, lead gen. Yeah. Okay. Um, which ads typically are you guys getting most of the leads from or the best leads um, yeah, we'll just go with that one. Yeah, there's two lead gens that work really well for us. One of them is the like an acreage homes list. That's what we've opted to do a lot of the times and just started at least a half an acre. So that does include some city properties, but at least not like the postage stamp ones. Um, and then also, and what's really, I think what's really nice about that specific one is that you can the conversation is really easy when they start when leads start to reach back out because the conversation is are you looking in just midland county are you looking in bay county too and go from there and the other one that works really well for lead gen is anytime that we're like um donna did a fishing for listings she got a listing up from it 
score, you know? Um, and it's, it's just like a photo of her out with a fishing pole. Is that the one that you're talking about? Yeah. So yeah. fishing pole, she's sitting at the end of a dock with her dog. And um, the copy is talking about from our team, not only hers, but from the team buyers that we have properties that we're looking for with a couple of specifics. Um, we have a buyer for this, we have a buyer for this, we have a buyer for this, we have a buyer for this. Do you have a listing for us? And she got a listing from it, which was great. It actually just closed, I think, last Friday. We ran it, you know, maybe a month, two, month and a half ago um, for a little while. So yeah, those would probably be my two favorite lead gens that we do. Um, and then for ads budget, uh, yeah. I tell my team, I'm not really gonna not put money behind ads. If they're willing to do the work, I'm willing to provide the budget because if they win, I win. And like having that designated sphere list makes it a lot easier for me to know, you know, where it's coming from. Sure. So sure. Um, I usually just defer to my rep, my platform rep and say, do you think it's still performing well? There's metrics that you guys look at and when it's ready to be killed, we kill it. I don't, I don't honestly know. If I had a guess, I don't know, thousand, two thousand a month. In ad spend. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Um, now a lot of what we've talked about is the, you know, branding and the retargeting ads that platform does. Cause that, I mean, honestly, that's what I'm most passionate about. Cause I think that's what most realtors aren't doing enough of if, if they're doing any at all is creative retargeting ads. But obviously when you build a team, um, your, your priorities shift a little bit because like there is sort of this expectation, whether you explicitly say it or not, or whether it's in the contract or not, or the agreement that like, if you join a team, a lot of people expect they're getting some leads from you or else it's kind of like, why would I join a team? I could just go off on my own if you're not going to provide leads. So talk to me a little bit about what the lead flow looks like with platform. Cause I know you guys have used other systems for leads before like Zillow, KV core, boomtown. You've used a lot of the companies to kind of buy leads from you've done the pay-per-click and all that. Um, how many leads do you know approximately how many you're getting a month or how many deals that your team closed last year that you can indirectly or directly attribute to platform marketing campaigns? Do you know? Uh, directly would be harder to track indirectly. If I had an educated, um, guess with indirect leads that closed from platform, I would probably say 30 or 40. Wow. Okay. So of the, of the, of the total transactions that you guys did last year, well, what, what was the total for your team in terms of number of transactions? Uh, again, I'm not entirely sure wrapping up 2022. I just asked for that. Like yesterday, I don't think it's okay. to me yet, but I want to say 200 to 20. That's awesome. Okay. So your team total did about 200 transactions. Yeah. Let's say this again, it could be plus yeah. or minus whatever, but approximately 200 transactions and 30 to 40 of those. Yeah. You can kind of track back to, um, platform. Yeah. So, I mean, if that's, if each of those deals is, has a gross commission of, I don't know, in your market, five, six, 7,000 a piece, yeah. what's the average? Our average sale price is 200. So six. Yeah. Six. So, I mean, if it's uh, let's say, let's say it's 30, not 40. I mean, that means you're pretty close to $200,000 a GCI that you can directly kind of say, Hey, this came as a result of either a platform lead generation campaign or someone seeing one of our other ads, yes. even if it wasn't literally a platform lead per yeah. se. 
Yep. Okay. And that's, and that's kind of the main marketing you guys are doing right now. Are you doing any other major marketing systems? Are you, you know, are you spending five grand a month on Boomtown or Sync or Curator or Zillow or anything like that? We, so I, from a true marketing, this is the only true, what I, what I would call true marketing, but do we buy leads? Yes, we do buy other leads as well. Uh, Leads that we buy, um, through KB core, through make it rain, through Google, through Zillow, we do diversify. Yep. I was always taught six pillars of income, yep. um, so yep. that means six lead gens coming in. But what I, what I would say, which is, I don't think, uh, articulated often enough when it comes to platform is that like, let's say I have a Google pay-per-click lead that comes in. Um, one of the things that I don't think is articulated well enough is the conversion rate has significantly increased due to the brand presence that we have from the work that we do with platform marketing. The conversion rate, I think, I think the industry standard is around 20% conversion rate for most leads. My personal conversion rate, which I am still in production. So, um, I, I, I know my numbers a lot better than I know my team's numbers as a whole, but like my personal conversion rate is over 90% and my team's conversion rate, if I had a guess is probably still closer to 60%. And a lot of that is just coming from us being the face of this business and the face of this community on a regular basis. Yeah. So like, it's almost like platform to use an insurance metaphor platform is like the umbrella policy that goes over everything else because yeah, you're still doing Google pay-per-click. It sounds like you're still doing Zillow or KV core, but platform is not only generating leads itself, but it's also increasing the conversion rate on all these other lead sources. Because when a Google pay-per-click lead comes in, now it's exponentially more likely that not only did they click an ad on Google and opt in, and now you have their contact info and you're following up, but they've probably also seen your ads all over social media and so that just improves the conversion rate on those leads, even if technically it didn't have anything to do with platform where that lead originated. Yes. And that's where I think that whole fuzzy ROI um, mindset comes into play, which is why I love that mindset of like, you can't really put your finger on it, but you know, it's there and you don't know how it's there. And I think that's the best way that I can describe it is just that conversion right. rate going up so much. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously at the end of the day, the proof is in the pudding. Like, just look at the numbers. If your team since joining platform, you know, like two years ago has grown from 20 million to 50 million, obviously whatever you're doing with marketing is working because no one, no one like spontaneously grows their business from 20 to 50 million. You know, I have this conversation with, 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 with agents often that like, Hey, you know, if someone was doing, I don't know, six million dollars a year before they signed up for platform and then the next year they did eight million it's like well that's not really a success story of a platform if you grew from six to eight because frankly you could grow from six to eight without doing any marketing at all if you just got lucky with a couple maybe in the following year you had a couple more referrals come in than you normally have you know and so that's not really like a true wow success story you know, because you can you can spontaneously grow from six to eight million or from three to five million or whatever without any marketing investment. Right. But no one spontaneously goes from 20 million to 50 million. Like no one adds 30 million dollars of production just 
with luck. <laughs> you know, oh, cool. Like last year we did 20 and this year we did 50. It's like, yeah, no, like clearly there's something driving that, driving that success. So that's cool. Um, Jamie, the final question I want to ask you, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to kind of set this up with an opinion of my own. And then I would just love to hear how you answer this question has to do with, um, who should build a team and why so many teams fail. So I've, I've, I've seen this, I've seen this phenomenon play, play out over and over again, where an agent becomes successful as an individual agent, like they're producing, they get to, let's say 10 million or whatever in production, and they're making a pretty good living, you know, because most agents, when you get to 10 million, depending on your split and expenses, whatever, you're probably making 250 to $300,000 a year. And at that point you start thinking, okay, how do I scale? What's, what's the next step, right? Like you don't want to just become complacent and stay there. And I think a lot of agents are sold this lie that, oh, well, if you're successful and you get to 10 million or whatever, you should build a team. That's just the next step is you should build a team. And it's not that there's anything wrong with building a team. It's that building a team isn't inherently the next step from being a successful individual agent. It's a different type of business entirely. Like when you choose to build a team, you have to realize that your focus now needs to be on developing the team members and having a team business model. And your personal production is often going to take a backseat to the team, frankly, or else you shouldn't build a team. Because if if you're if 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 your team members are just a nuisance to you or an annoyance to you, and you're focused on your own book of business and they're kind of just frankly annoying to you, that's not really fair to you or them if you build a team. And that's why I see so many people fail. Like, oh yeah, I have a team and I did 10 million last year. And like a couple years later, they have three agents and the total production is 15 million. So basically they had to mentor and train and babysit three agents only to grow the total volume by 5 million. <laughs> and obviously none of those three agents, they're probably on food stamps if three agents are splitting 5 million in, uh, in production. And I would say, Hey, like you as an individual probably could have got to 15 million without a team. So why did you go through all the stress and heartache of building a team? So after I get that rant out of the way and kind of lay that, uh, contextual foundation for my question. My uh, question is who is the right type of person to build a team? And uh, what advice would you give to someone knowing what you know now, if they do decide to build a team that you would do differently if you were starting over today? And do differently. Okay. I, those are like really, really powerful questions. And I do agree with you on quite a few of the comments that you made, Tim. And I've heard some teams say, I, team leaders say, I have so many leads. I need people to take these leads. I'm going to recruit Sally so that she can run some leads for me. Or I've heard some team leaders say, um, I don't want to show houses anymore. And I still have buyers who want to look at or sellers that end up buying. And I just don't want to be in front of them because X, Y, or Z. And I don't think that like a lead amount is maybe the right 
reason to build or not build a team. But for me personally, it, it comes down to an impact question. What kind of an impact do I want to have in the world or with people or with this industry? And what is the venue of which I can lead those people through um, having an impact in their life or in their business? And I, I personally believe that unless you have a servant's heart and you are looking to lead and make an impact for people, you probably shouldn't start a team. There are a lot of other ways to distribute leads if, if you're coming from a lead heavy situation. But uh, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, um, agents contact you and starting to become annoying because they have questions. Well, yeah, everybody has questions. And sometimes I have questions. Sometimes I need help too. And and who do I go to? And what does that look like? And I do, and I have reacted sometimes, even with coming from a servant's heart, with wanting to make an impact for people and their businesses and their families and in the world and in this industry of, um, I get a call of, hey, what do I do with my file? Do I have to get it bottom line by the buyer after the seller accepts the counter? Yes, you do. Yes, we did talk over this in our ramp camp, but um, sure. and yes, it is available for you in the train you will that provide that's provided to you from ramp camp. But I'm going to sit here and talk with you on the phone and work you through this. Uh, and sometimes I catch myself getting into that. Oh, this is annoying mindset. And then I have to remind myself, hold on, why am I being annoyed? What is my goal? What is my mission? This person trusts me enough to reach out to me to ask for help in this. Where was right. I at? back in 2011 when I needed this help, you know, and, and it really comes down to me for impact and why do teams fail? Oh, there's a lot of reasons why teams so fail. So what I'm, what I'm hearing just to kind of summarize what you just said, because I think one of the most specific things you just said there is having a surplus of leads is not good enough of a reason to start a team. Like if you're starting a team because you, because you're saying, Hey, I have so many leads that I don't have time to follow up with all of them, or I don't have time to work all of them. I think I'll just start a team. Like that's not a good enough reason to start a team. Because if, if, if a, you think that a, as a team leader, your only responsibility to the team members is, Hey, the leads I don't want to work with, or frankly, don't have time to work with. I'll just give them to you. Like you, you really don't care about their success as much as you're hoping they can solve a problem for you. It's a very one-sided type of relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. And that's, I mean, that's my, that's my personal opinion. Um, I'm sure that there are people that don't agree with me on that. And why do teams fail? I think that there's a plethora of different reasons why a team could fail. I think a lot of it comes down to, um, annoyances and fights between money, which is why like it was really important for me to set that kind of clear clear boundary of sphere versus team and and this is what it is and that's it. Um, but it is easy to feel like you're trained well enough to run it on your own and then go out and do it. And if if your goal is to make an impact, go do it. if if your goal is to earn more money, I mean, we are making money, but if I didn't have to have the hours in the day where I was giving back to my team, I very well could be making more money. 
So it's not really like a money thing for me. It really is sure, an sure. thing. Yeah, and it's, you know, as you as you as you said before, um having a team has allowed you to make a very great income, have a very great business. I mean, you guys said you sold over, you know, 200 homes last year. Um, but you're not working weekends anymore unless you want to, you know, it's not like you're tied to the business where Jamie has to work seven days a week to put up these kind of numbers. That's a, that's, that's a huge amount of the value it's created for your business that, you know, as you said, you probably could do more impressive volume yourself if you weren't spending time mentoring the team, but it also probably means you wouldn't necessarily have the work-life balance. You know, you wouldn't be at home on nights and weekends and, that's that's really important, frankly, because after a certain level of income, the dollars don't really matter as much as what does your life look like. So you know, because you end up having or you end up trying to buy back your time with after tax dollars, which kind of defeats the purpose of earning earning that money in the first place. Cool. Well, uh, Jamie, this has been an awesome episode. I I I, I do have one final question for you. Um, as, as someone who's been with Platform for, you know, two and a half years now, and maybe someone's listening to this episode in the future, and at that point you will have been with Platform for three years or maybe even four years, like, what is your perspective um, or what would your advice be to someone who maybe signed up six months ago and they've yet to see that big impact it's made in their business? Like, they they heard it was really awesome, they've seen success stories or case studies, but they haven't yet seen the success and maybe they're starting to get frustrated. Like, when is this finally going to start working? Like, when am I going to have my business blow up like Jamie's has? Like, what would your perspective or what would your advice be to someone who's either thinking about starting platform or someone who, you know, signed up 90 days ago or six months ago and they're starting to get anxious? Like, hey, when is this finally going to start start working? When are the results going to come in? Yeah, I would give two pieces of feedback. Number one, be patient. Right. Number two, do more. That's so when you say, when you say do more, do, can you unpack create, that a little bit? Like, yeah, create more ads, create more lead gen, create, contact your leads more, um, borrow listings to be able to do listing appointments from if you don't have them yourself. If you do have them, just because you create one listing uh, video on one property and it runs for 10 days or two weeks and it still isn't sold 30 days later, do another one, change it up, do something more fun, do something more creative. Uh, yeah, do more. Is that, is that a mistake that you feel that you made in your first year with platform or where does, where does that perspective of yours come from of be patient and do more? I would say be patient because the amount of branding that you're like, it's like, like we've got a team, we got a lot of people working towards the common goal. We have a lot of people willing to do content, but even with a lot of people willing to do content, I can honestly say that there's been some times where there might only be two things running for me. Usually we try to keep like, I don't know, five to seven or eight running at any given time, but there have been times where we were a lot less than that. And uh, the branding piece of it, if if I'm doing five to seven pieces and I started to see results, like let's say six months in and you're less than six months in and you're not seeing results and you're only doing one piece of branding material, do more, right? 
um, and be patient with it. That one piece of branding material, that one video that I created that the mayor reached out to me on, um, I'm, I'm pretty confident that when the mayor decides to sell her house, she's probably going to call me. But I have to be patient because she might not be looking to sell in 2020, right? Or, or frankly, all of the people that the mayor knows, if the mayor ever hears that friends are thinking of selling, guess who they're going to recommend them to? Right, exactly. So it might, it might not be, you might not be in front of the, the people that are wanting to buy and sell today, but you are in front of people that are going to want to buy and sell. So just be patient and make, right. making sure that you're staying in front of those people and, and doing the work and being, being more involved and more in front of them. That's, that's the whole do more. All right. Be patient and do more ads. So uh, Jamie, again, thank you for your time. I think this was a really awesome episode. We were able to dive deep um, into several topics of, you know, building a team, building success over the long term structuring like win-win agreements with your team on everything from commission splits to how you think about sphere leads and team leads um, i think this was a really really practical and valuable episode so thank you for your time and uh, we'll see you guys on the next episode of the platform marketing show thank you tim